You're listening to Real Presence Live. Now, back to more inspirational and uplifting stories and a look at the extraordinary things happening in our local area. Heard right here on the RPR Network. Welcome back to Real Presence Live here on the RPR Network. I'm one of your hosts this morning, Brandon Clark, joined by Brad Gray. Brad, we just finished up a a really great opportunity for our listeners as we heard from Executive Director of Real Presence Radio, Lynn Devitt. And uh, again, an invitation to call in and and support this mission and keep it on the air for many years to come. Oh, yeah. It's a huge thank you to all those who have made this a part of, of their life, of their priorities throughout the years. Yeah, 100%. All right, so just want to give our listeners a quick rundown on what we have for the rest of the show. We'll be joined in just a moment by Dr. Christopher DeCock talking about, as I mentioned before the break, chronic disease and bioethics. Are the two even related? Then we'll have a, a special guest from the NDSU Newman Center, Father James Cheney. Mm. He'll talk about the exciting things happening there. They just got into their new chapel. Of course, they have the brand new Newman Center. So we'll talk a little bit about what is the vision now that everything is all open and and ready to go, ready to serve students. And then you're really excited for our last segment. We have Mr. Raymond Arroyo from the world over. Yes, Raymond has done, well, he's very familiar, I think, with much of our listening audience. But I got to say, my kids are just crazy about his Will Wilder books. Yes. Yeah, we've been eagerly awaiting the next one. But it's, it's fascinating how much talent this man has. Yeah. We actually just got a... I, I, I met him at... Um, it was a conference uh, down in Orlando, Florida in May. And he had a new book out. And it, it's basically talking about moments in life for famous people who... like A single moment ended up changing the mm. trajectory of their life, basically. And, and the one that we got was Thomas Edison... And he was a tinkerer, and he wasn't, he wasn't very good in school, and he kind of got in trouble. So his mom brought him home and gave him a place to tinker in the basement. And, of course, you know, everybody knows who Thomas Edison yes. is, right? And so just those opportunities to, to see that a lot of these people, you know, whether they're saints or, or, or inventors or, or different people like that, uh, they, they, they're just like us. Yeah. They're real people, and they have moments that just send them in a certain direction, just as the Holy Spirit guides us. So very excited oh, to talk oh. to Raymond Royal. not necessarily about that, but sure. a, a new Christmas album that he's got coming out. So that's very fitting as we're uh, in the Advent season. Absolutely, yeah. So we should probably move forward. We are going to move forward to our next guest here. We have Dr. Christopher DeCock, who is a pediatric neurologist. He's got a master's in bioethics. He's the physician chair of the Hospital Ethics Committee at Essentia Health. So well qualified for our next discussion, Brad. Yes, Dr. DeCock, thank you for being with us this morning. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. So uh, Brandon mentioned earlier in the show that there, we're, we're going to be discussing this morning a little bit about the, the link between uh, chronic disease and bioethics and even suffering. So how, to begin with, um, how do, how does it, what is the link between chronic disease and bioethics? Well, in order to answer the question, I think it's helpful just to remember what, um, what bioethics is for. So bioethics is to answer those ought questions, those situations, should we do this thing or that thing? And of course, when you're talking about medicine, specifically disease, you have to understand sort of what is the aim of medicine? You know, what is the goal? And to, to start with that, I'd like to uh, quote Dr. Leon Cass from uh, 1975. And he stated, 
I trust it will shock no one if I say that I am rather inclined to the old-fashioned view that health, or if you prefer the healthy human being, is the end of a physician's art, that health is a goal of medicine few would deny. The, only, the trouble is, so am I told, that health is not the only possible and reasonable goal of medicine. He then goes on to say what the goal of medicine is not. And unfortunately, I think we often forget that these things are not really the goal of medicine, right? So it's not behavior modification. That's not a goal of medicine. It's not death prevention. Everyone is going to die. However, because health is fleeting, problems arise. And so he continues to say, but there is a difficulty. The central goal of medicine, health, is a perishable good. Inevitably, patients get irreversibly sick, patients degenerate, patients die. Ultimately, at least on first glance, teaching or rearing the young, healing the sick, is in principle a project that at must point fail. And here is where the trouble begins. How does one deal with medical failure? What does one seek when restoration of wholeness, or much wholeness, is by and large out of the question? Now, the problem is, the practice of medicine, and life, if you will, ultimately will lead us to death. And so I think it's very helpful to recall what Dr. Edward Livingston Trudeau said, to cure sometimes, to relieve often, and to comfort always. And so this is where the idea of chronic disease comes in. And that's why chronic disease is so frustrating because ultimately technology is limited. Yeah. You know, there are only so many things we can do. So, for example, my mother has a connective tissue disorder. Well, she denies that she has a connective tissue mm-hmm. disorder. Whether or not she has one is potentially open to debate. But she's had nine knee replacements. Wow. She constantly has unstable joints. Oof. She has huge mobility issues and you know she's not that old she's only in her 70s and we've had to put a ramp in you know my folks's house and stuff like that and that's very frustrating and that's very you know hard for her to deal with because she wants to be get around she wants to be with the grandkids she wants to be able to do the things that you know the vast majority of people can do but unfortunately that's not the way things work out you know as terrible as that reality is Despite all the technology we have, health is fleeting. We will all suffer, and we will all die. Yeah, I mean, that, that hits very close to home for me because I have a, a 9-year-old, almost 10-year-old daughter that has type 1 diabetes and celiac since she was 16 months old. And, you know, we've got, we've got seven kids. She's the only one with this condition. So um, you have other kids that they can have treats and sweets and that sort of thing. And, and Noelle's, you know, her blood sugars are high. So she can't have a piece of candy. You know, we go out on Halloween, and kids are going out and trick-or-treating, and there's, um, most of the candies she can't have. And so uh, it is, it's a, it's a huge cross. And, and like you said, you're just limited in what you can actually do. We can't, we, as much as we could desire and wish that we could fix this, that's not happening. Correct. No. And, and that's really the problem, and that's where the frustration comes in. And, you know, like my mother is asked, why? Why does God allow suffering? And I think, you know, I don't want to get too theological because I'm a physician. I'm not a theologist. Sure. But 
And I remember what my grandpa told me um, back when, after my grandma died, we would go out and spend time with him in the summer. And he drilled into us what the purpose of life was. And he said, you know, the old Baltimore Catechism, what's the purpose of life? To love, serve, know God in this world, and be with him in the next. And I think when we look at sort of the purpose of our lives, you know, not just of biological beings, but as children of God, that can kind of help us with that. Because if you recall from back in October, we talked about Dr. Pellegrino's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. I think secular medicine runs into the problem that they think that the biomedical good is the only good Mm -hmm. that's out there. But the reality is, is the biomedical good is the lowest good in the practice of medicine. Mm. You know, subservient, you know, the biomedical good should be subservient to, you know, what the patient feels is the good. What is their subjective good, right? Because you don't necessarily need to do anything if it's against your goals or your aims. And then, of course, subservient to that is the good of the human person. We're children of God. We have intrinsic human dignity. There are certain things that are just not allowed by virtue of that. And and we can't, you know, we can't actually do those things. And then of course there's that ultimate good, right? It's the good of loving, knowing, serving God in this world and being with him in the next. And so that's why when you have a Jehovah's Witness patient come into the hospital and says, look, I don't want a blood transfusion. I know I'm going to die. I don't want it. That's completely bioethically okay, because guess what? Their spiritual good supersedes, you know, that biomedical good. And I think that we forget about that, because unfortunately, we live in a culture where suffering is, you know, felt to be intolerable. You know, it has no value. There's no point to suffering. And as tough as it is to hear, Suffering is a good thing for us. Mm-hmm. It's good for the patients. It's good for the caregivers. Like my, my wife and I have been doing Exodus 90, and you have to take cold showers. Well, there's a reason why you take cold showers. It's not because you like cold showers, but it's because it forces you to detach from this world, from the physical world that we get caught up with. You know, and that, that reminds me, and, and what prompted us to start that exercise was... You know, after Pope Benedict died, all of these quotes that, you know, were attributed and came up. And, of course, one of my favorites is the one where he says that the world offers us comfort. The trouble is we were not made for comfort. We were made for greatness. And, of course, he was referencing Space Salvi, and I'm not sure if that's an encyclical, Mm. but there it says, man was created for greatness. For God himself, he was created to be filled by God, but his heart is too small for the greatness which it is destined. It must be stretched. Mm. Mm. And the problem is, our society, in our society, too many people suffer alone, right? We're called to compassion, to suffer with the individual, but, you know, that doesn't happen, you know? I have to account for why does my brother-in-law, John Paul, why is he multiply handicapped, mm. right? Why is he autistic? Why is he blind? Why doesn't he have a colon? Why does he have to poop in a bag for his entire life? I have no doubt that he's going to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. 
But he is here to make me a better person, to make his family a better person. And suffering and illness forces us to stretch our hearts. If you're just tuning in, we're visiting with Dr. Chris Dukak about bioethics and, and chronic illness and how the two interconnect. We're going to continue our discussion on the other side of this break, so stay with us as Real Presence Live continues. Live, engaging, and local, this is Real Presence Live, where we bring you positive and uplifting stories and share the great things happening in our local area on the Real Presence Radio Network. Hi, this is Dr. Ryan Sappo from Lumen Vision in Fargo. The American Academy of Optometry recommends that all children receive eye exams every two years, beginning at six months old. As one of North Dakota's only fellowship-certified pediatric optometrists, it is my mission to ensure that children are screened for preventable eye conditions like lazy eyes, cataracts, and eye turns. Lumen Vision offers eye exams for children and adults, and you don't need vision insurance to book an appointment. You can schedule your appointment online at www.lumen.vision. Vision. Lumen Vision is a proud sponsor of Real Presence Radio. This is Father Bo Brown from the Diocese of Duluth. A lot of times, us as as Catholics, we we struggle with the Holy Spirit because the, the Father is so approachable. He has a name that's very uh, that we all know, right? That we can relate to, and the Son as well. And when you get the Holy Spirit, oftentimes He can take this this kind of back seat in our relationship with God. And we see early on in the, in the Book of Acts and. Uh, the disciples in the early life of the church, we see how they live with the Holy Spirit and they express to us what it's like to live with Him and how He both sanctifies what they do and their ministry and gives them special gifts and also how He sanctifies their own lives and they talk about how the Spirit brings uh, certain effects in their life like joy and peace, patience, kindness, generosity, self-control. So I think it's good for us to think about today. What's our relationship with the Holy Spirit like? Is He a real person in our lives? We have the same kind of relationship with Him that we have with the Father and the Son. For centuries, healthcare has been central to the healing ministry of the church. Today's technologies offer exciting possibilities, but also serious moral questions. More than ever, we need healthcare leaders who serve with integrity and conviction. The University of Mary answers the call to prepare leaders anchored in moral courage in a breathtaking range of programs from bioethics to nursing. Visit catholicprofessional.life. You're listening to Real Presence Live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Join the conversation on our Facebook page or on Twitter. And be sure to like and follow us for more great Catholic content. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Real Presence Live here on the RPR Network. It is good to be with you here from the Butler Building, the University of Butler Building. University of Butler Building. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, University, University of, of Mary, Mary Butler Building. I can talk. See, we're I, just getting used to the location. Yes, we're, we're getting used to the hard location. Hard to find our way here, hard to find the way to say the name. <laughs> yes, exactly. I'm Brandon Clark, one of your hosts this morning, joined by... Brad Gray, as evidenced here, we are the B-Squad. <laughs> yes, yes. I just proved why yes, we're the B-Squad. Exactly. All right, so we're having a, a very in-depth conversation with Dr. Christopher DeCock about a chronic illness and, and bioethics, how the two connect. We just, just got done talking about why God allows people to suffer physically. And Dr. DeCock, first of all, thanks for staying with us into this next half hour. One of the things that I was thinking about was I was on retreat this past weekend with Father Leffer at, at Maryvale, and we were talking about 
making sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. And so St. Paul says, in all things give thanks, right? And so we, we try to give thanks in all things. But then the question comes up, okay, so what about that physical suffering? What about the, the things that seem wicked, the chronic illness? Do we even thank God for that? To which Father Leffer said, he was reading through St. Thomas Aquinas and said, yes, that actually is how Satan is defeated. In thanking God for even the wicked things, right? We, God doesn't, doesn't give to us those wicked things, but in his permissive will, he allows those things to happen for our salvation. So, uh, you know, before we move on to compassion, I'm wondering if you could just talk a little about that. Sure. Yeah, no, I look at it this way as, you know, what is it? Steel sharpens steel, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like I said, you know, with Exodus 90, it's prayer, asceticism, and fraternity, right? Why asceticism, right? Why suffering? Why do we thank God for these things? Well, because, again, it ties to that ultimate purpose of life, right? We are called to become saints. And if, if we don't have any trials or tribulations, you know, unless we're, you know, the little flower, you know, but she had them too, yes. right? We're not going to become better. If we're not challenged, if we're not, you know, given adversity and, you know, our hearts are forced to stretch, you know, then we can't do that. And, and that's the hardest part, right? Because right. I'm so limited by what I can do. You know, I have many patients that are multiply handicapped that have intractable epilepsy and, and, it, and it's frustrating for the families and the caregivers and, and you know, we, we just have to have faith to know that God allows this because it makes us better. Not only does it make the patient better, but it makes the families, the caregivers better, you know. And that's why it's such a privilege for me. Like, I have the great privilege of taking care of kids in the Ann Carlson Center in Jamestown, the home for the multiply handicapped children. You know, those are my kids, and that's the best thing that I can do. It's also the most frustrating thing. Mm. But it is such a privilege to be a part of someone's life mm -hmm. in order to grow. And I get so much more out of taking care of those kids than they do from me. I love uh, the, the statement that you mentioned there from uh, St. Thomas, Brandon, that, that uh, this is how Satan is defeated. Because if we think about it in our own experience, like we have, we have these trials and these difficulties, and the reality is the Lord doesn't shield us from everything. Right. Right. He doesn't. You, you look at the beginning of the book of Job, and Satan comes before God and asks for permission to afflict Job, and God grants it, and, and he grants it twice. You know, he, the first time is just going to take away his stuff and that sort of thing, and then the second time is even his body, right? right. Speaking about bioethics, but that he's not to take his life, right? And God allows it, and, you know, his, Satan's goal here is to show that Job is not a just man. Right. That Job is like any other guy that no one really follows God, right. right? And prior to this, Job was a just man, but Job was not the man at the beginning of the story that he was at the end of the story. God allows it because Job becomes more right. of what he is. But also, like for us as we're, as we're confronting difficulties, Satan's whole purpose is to rip us away from God. Right. To make us not trust him, as he did with Adam and Eve. Well, because what's the alternative? Right. To curse God, yeah. right? Yep, exactly. So, and, and that's what Job's wife says, just curse God and die, right? And, uh, and 
he, he's faithful. And, and the, the evil one is always trying to draw us away from God. And it's so infuriating when the exact opposite response is what comes forth. When it is, well, this is horrible. I absolutely hate it. But I'm entrusting myself to you, Lord, because you're trustworthy. And it, it is the absolute rending of the kingdom of hell. Yeah. When, when we, that is the response that, that we take toward these things. Absolutely. So this, I think, kind of brings us into a conversation as you, you were talking about working with the kids at the uh, Carlson Center was, is compassion, right? And, and compassionate care. I think we see in the world around us that there is more and more of a push for things like assisted suicide or, you know, just comfort care, right? Not actually trying to help a person, but just kind of writing them off in society. What does this look like from a bioethics perspective, though? How do we care for our beloved brothers and sisters in Christ who are beloved sons and daughters of God? Well, thank you. No, I, um, I think, you know, before I answer that question, and I always seem to take a step back before yeah. taking a step forward, but yeah. I think it's important to define our terms, right? So right off the bat, so what is compassion? So when you look at compassion, what does it mean? It means to suffer with. Now, unfortunately, our society is based on the utilitarian idea, you know, brought about by Jeremy Bentham and John Stuart Mill, that, you know, the only good is pleasure and the only evil is suffering. And therefore, mm-hmm. the goal for happiness is to maximize pleasure and minimize pain, right? Because that's the only evil. Unfortunately, that's led our society down the wrong track. Because now you've got organizations like Compassionate Choices, which talk about promoting euthanasia. Well, I've always found that to be an interesting name. Because how do you suffer with someone that you kill? Well, obviously you don't, right? And I think this arises not only from our society's understanding, but from a misunderstanding of what compassion is and what empathy is. And so if you think about what empathy is, empathy is a feeling. Now, it's an important feeling, right? You have to be empathetic. But, you know, empathy is basically feeling another person's pain where compassion is actually taking an action, taking a role, suffering with them to, you know, try and help relieve their suffering and to support them. Mm. And... I remember I heard a quote, and I, I forget where I heard it, but, but it, it sort of struck me because it, it, it sounds so bad, but it's so good. Someone said, and again, I, I apologize, I forget who said it. They said, I don't care about your feelings. I care about you, mm-hmm. right? And so empathy, like I said, it's important, but compassion, empathy should move us to compassion, right? Sure. And there's three fundamental differences between these two. So first of all, action and feeling, right? Compassion requires an action from an individual. Empathy is a feeling. Another one is a choice versus a reflex, right? You have to choose to suffer with someone. It's not easy. It's not easy dealing with people with chronic pain. Whereas empathy is you feel sorry for them, but if you don't choose to anything, do anything about it, do you really love them? 
And then lastly, there's mindfulness versus distress. Empathy comes out with distress, right? It's a feeling. It's an emotion. It comes quickly. But ultimately, you have to be, if you will, logically thinking of sound mind, doing the hard things for the other ones, right? You have to have a calm and mindful state in order to be compassion to those around you. And so fundamentally, it's that I think that misunderstanding of what compassion really is, the misunderstanding of what the goals are, you know, the idea that suffering has no value. Mm-hmm. And then fundamentally, if you take that next step, you know, why do we even think that euthanasia or something like that is acceptable? It's because now you've eliminated the fact that we are embodied persons and you just discard the body. Well, if the body is covering you suffering, get rid of it, right? Right. And, and we see that all the time. And yet people can justify that, right? They, they say this person is suffering, so it's compassion to, to let them go. Well, no, it's, uh, compassion would be to suffer with them. Yeah. It's cowardice yeah. to kill them. That's what it is. Let's be abundantly clear. Yes. And actually, I am so thankful because recently there was a big push to have the American Medical Association mm-hmm. change its stance on euthanasia from against euthanasia to a neutral stance. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but it's a huge deal because yes. that's always the step that comes first. Mm. But praise be to God, the Catholic Medical Association, National Catholic Bioethics, other wonderful organizations rose up and they made a choice that they were going to act and the AMA has not changed its stance. That's so good. And so praise be to God. Mm. Because remember, we're in a culture. We are in a pagan culture. As much as I wish we were not, we are in a Nietzschean will-to-power culture. We have discounted the value of the body. We say, hey, if we can think it, if we have the will to make it happen, then we should do it. But fundamentally, that's been a disaster in medicine. Because moral relativity, you know, cultural relativity allopathic medicine cannot function in that environment because we have to make decisions based on facts not based on people's opinions Mm -hmm. right and ultimately that's what Nietzschean will to power is I think this is important I'm going to make myself God and to heck with everything else and so I think culturally we have a problem there's misunderstanding you know you know it's just it's almost laughably wrong how we discount these people and say, well, the best thing for them is to kill them. Well, yes. you're basically saying your yeah. life isn't worth living. Right. And as a physician, that's unacceptable. So we've set, set the stage here in our discussion to talk about how these things are playing out, how you're actually seeing these things play out. And we're going to continue that as Real Presence Live continues on the other side of this break. So please don't go anywhere. This is Real Presence Live, where the focus is not on the evil around us, but on conversion and mercy through the good news that is always good. We're local, engaging, and live on the Real Presence Radio Network. Did you know you can listen to the RPR Network when you're on the go? Just search for Real Presence Radio in your app store. Listen live to any station across the network at any time, so you can stay connected to your local community from wherever you are. 
Plus, if you miss a program, the Real Presence Radio app is your one-stop shop for local and national podcasts, including our signature show, Real Presence Live. The Real Presence Radio app, with you every step of your faith journey. Download it today and see what you've been missing. As Catholic people, we recognize our lives are gifts from God. Blessings received are a result of God's grace and goodness. Our Lord entrusts us to be good stewards of His many gifts. We are called to conduct lives that honor Him and bear witness to our faith in Jesus Christ. Hello, this is Mike Kidrowski, Director of Advancement for Real Presence Radio. As we begin a new year, let's reflect a moment on stewardship. Your life should provide an example to others in the way you live your faith, the way you manage your possessions, and the way you plan your estate and personal affairs. You have spent a lifetime acquiring your assets and living your faith. Fortunately, we can provide you with an estate planning guide that allows you to put all of your important information in one place and enable you to document your intentions. To request an estate planning guide, please visit our plan giving website at rprlegacy.org or call me at 701-290-4503. Let's get started. Did you know you can listen to Real Presence Live anytime on any podcast platform? Just search for Real Presence Radio on platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, and on the Real Presence Radio website. Then subscribe so you don't miss any future shows. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating so other people can find us as well. Real Presence Radio, your family of faith and hope. This is Real Presence Live on the RPR Network, bringing you stories of faith and hope through local hosts and guests from across the Upper Midwest. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us as we continue our discussion here on Real Presence Live with Dr. Christopher DeCock. I'm Brandon Clark, one of your hosts. Joined Brad by. Gray, yep, right here. So Brad, uh, we've, we've covered a lot of ground. We've yeah. gone from chronic illness and how that relates to bioethics to talking about why God allows us to suffer physically to talking about the difference between empathy and compassion. Mm. So we've really set that stage to see how this is playing out with uh, what Dr. DeCock is doing in medicine. So Dr. DeCock, can you share some of what you're experiencing as this plays out? Sure, definitely. Um, so obviously I can't tell you names or anything, you know, sure, HIPAA yep. violation and whatnot. Yep. But I was consulted on a case in Texas about a little one-month-old boy. And now, specifically why Texas is because they have, I think since 1999, it's the Texas Advanced Directives Act. And what that act did is it established a process for discerning the appropriateness of, of a physician's or the healthcare team's request to withhold and withdraw life-sustaining treatment despite the wishes of the patient, the patient's family, and or the surrogate. So that's both good and bad, right? Because sometimes people ask for a few dollar care. You know, sometimes they're asking for those things that, you know, the Catholic Church would say are extraordinary, mm -hmm. you know? And, but, but unfortunately, oftentimes it ends up turning more into a quality of life judgment. Mm -hmm. And so, so here's the case. So you have this one-month-old little baby, and they were born at term, so full term, vaginal delivery, and they suffered a catastrophic stroke, mm. right? So all parts of the brain were injured by the stroke, and as a result, this little boy required intubation and tube feeds at birth. 
with time, he was unable to wean off the ventilator, and he was growing and developing fine. You know, the 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 tra- or the uh, the intubation was working, the nasogastric tube was working. They were doing what they were supposed to do. He was growing and developing, and the family rightly asked for a trach and a G-tube to be put in because a nasogastric tube and intubation are not things you can do for long periods of time. Ultimately, there's wear and tear on the airway. There's wear and tear on the nose, and it can be very irritating and very uncomfortable. Unfortunately, the medical team, with this request, said, well, no, we're going to deny that because we think it's futile care. And so the family was like, uh, what are you talking about? So they asked for an ethics consult. And unfortunately, the ethics committee said, yeah, we agree. We think it's futile care. And so despite, you know, the wishes of the family, they said, look, we're not going to put in a G-tube and a trach. So wow. was that the right thing to do? Mm. Well, in order to answer that question, I think we need to understand what is futility, right? Because that's what the medical team says it was. They said, this is a futile treatment. Okay, so Dr. Pellegrino states that when you're talking about futility, you, look at, you have to look at three things. The first thing is, is that treatment effective? Will it do what it's designed to do? So for this baby, we already know that he's growing and developing with NG feeds, so nasogastric tube, and the airway is working fine. So would putting in a G-tube, so a gastric tube, you know, a little tube into the stomach to put feeds directly into the stomach and a trach, which would allow him to breathe and spare the trauma of that airway, would those things be effective? And the answer is, yes, they would, Mm. right? They would exactly do what they're designed to do. And we had no reason to believe that in this case, that this baby would not benefit from these treatments, which actually brings us to the second thing. Is this beneficial? So the family is like, well, yes. It's allowing our child to grow and to develop. Therefore, it's beneficial. The medical team felt that it was not beneficial because they said, look, he's quadriplegic. It's not going to fix his brain injury. But to be clear, that's not what it's designed to do. Yeah, right. right? It's designed to give air and food food so that this baby can grow and develop and so benefit benefit you know can be subjective right there are some subjective benefits but obviously there's some objective components as well and that brings you to the third point well what are the burdens right what is if you will the risk of putting in a trach in a g-tube well any surgery of course has risk but these are same day procedures This is an otherwise healthy baby. Yeah, he's quadriplegic, right? But that doesn't, you know, that doesn't affect his ability to heal. That doesn't affect his ability to successfully undergo surgery. And yeah, tube feeds can be expensive. But as the Catholic Church has taught, fluid and nutrition are ordinary means. They're not extraordinary. Mm -hmm, And the problem is secular medicine has had no tube feeds are extraordinary and so that's why they were able to stop the tube feeds in terry shivo and oddly enough when you don't feed someone you don't give them water they starve Mm. they die right so we kill people because we say well this this is too risky this has too much risk 
And so in this case, I think the medical team and the ethics committee were making a quality of life judgment, right? Mm -hmm. Is this life worth living, not an actual judgment of futility? Because medically, this treatment, asking for a G-tube and a trach in this kid, is not futile. It's not extraordinary treatment. It's cheap, it's safe, and it would do what it's supposed to do. This is one of the reasons that I think things like the Catholic Medical Association and the National Catholic Bioethics Center are so important. Because I'll I'll be honest, Dr. DeCock, I have concerns about medicine in coming years based on the lack of ethics that seem to prevail in a lot of medical decisions like the one that you're talking about. And I think there's a question then is, as parents, I'll put myself in that, like, as a parent my wishes now are not able to be fulfilled. And even there's some cases where I may want to move them to a different hospital for the care, and that may be denied. So correct. what does a person do? How does a person process all this as they're considering all the implications that come as a result of a lack of ethics? Well, unfortunately, we have to change the culture, mm. and that's not easy, right? We need to defeat the devil. We need to thank him for the sufferings that we get every day so that we can help these vulnerable patients, these patients who are being scrutinized by the medical system, who are being dehumanized, you know, in the name of, quote, compassion, right? Again, that would be false compassion, not real compassion. And and I think it's really important that we need to just stress, look, there is intrinsic human dignity in everyone. It doesn't matter how damaged they are. Now, for you, I would say, what can you do for your kids? Well, come to Essentia, because then I'll make sure you got <laughs> good care, right? But we need to educate. That's why I do this. That's why I go on the air. That's why I do podcasts with the National Catholic Bioethics Center. That's why I speak at conferences, is because we need to change society. The problem is our society does not believe that all life has value. Mm. right they talk about quality of life all the time well that's an infinitely malleable term right that's a subjective statement that's someone's opinion you know do i feel this life is worthy of life and the the reality is we know that the value of a human life is not related to usefulness right? right it's not related to what you're going to do futility of treatment does not equal futility of life Right? All life has value. We should always care, even when we cannot cure. And the other thing that people conflate is they're like, look, there's a difference between having a life, a biological life, and being alive, having a biography. Well, that's not true. Mm. Right? Even if you can't interact with the world around you, you still are making a difference on the world around you. And really, it's a fundamental devaluing of the intrinsic human dignity of all human life. And so, in order to change it, we have to change the culture. We have to stand firm. Now, to be clear, that case is from Texas. There is no such law in North Dakota. I do not believe there is a law in Minnesota. However, I guarantee you, People are going to be pushing for it, just like they're pushing to have the AMA try to change the stance on euthanasia. It's coming, and we need to stand firm. The time has come. We have to draw the line in the the sand and say that this is unacceptable. Well, and I think, too, Brad, 
we understand as Catholics that suffering has meaning, right? Yeah. So, so they would go quality of life, suffering, let's end their suffering. But, but we have a deeper understanding of what that means. Yeah, I think that's what we were going into earlier, you know, when we talked about how that, that really is the, the un, unveiling of the, uh, well, I mean, when I speak of unveiling, I guess that I think of uh, many of the listeners may have heard of the case of Indy Gregory, the baby in the UK that was, um, was in a similar situation to mm-hmm. what you described. And the Vatican, the Bambino Yesu Hospital yep. offered to take her, the, it, the Italian government gave her yep. uh, um, citizenship. Mm-hmm. And they, the doctors would not release her. No, nope. mm-hmm. um, and so it, it is one of those. But the, at the at her funeral, the, the father of Indy's father had said that her life's mission. He was applauding her strength. He said her mission was to unveil the the evil, to to wow. expose the evil that's there. And I think that is a key part of like people have to be equipped to see truth, mm-hmm. right? That's yeah. kind of what you're talking about, doctor. Yeah. No. And unfortunately. The trend in medicine and in bioethics is toward secular bioethics, Mm -hmm. toward denying the intrinsic human dignity. I mean, look at the unborn, look at the, you know, the persistent vegetative states, look at those chronic brain dead patients. They're trying to say, society is trying to say, these aren't people. Right. And we have to say, no, they are. And we need to act with compassion. We need to suffer with these patients in order to change the world. Amen to that. All right, we do have to head to our top of the hour break, but stay with us when we continue. We have Father James Cheney talking about the new NDSU Newman Center Chapel, which has recently opened. We're going to talk about the vision for what the Newman Center is in years to come and a whole lot more. Don't go anywhere when we return for a second hour of Real Presence Live. Mm-hmm. 